Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're beginning in chapter 13 of Revelation, considering the beast, the false prophet, and how the world will be deceived into following them. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our Journey in the Word. Praise the Lord. Revelation in chapter 13. Let's see how far we can get through this today. Um, let's pick up in verse 1 and we'll read for context. Verse 1, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? He was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity, into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. We have been looking for a couple of weeks at this figure that we're given in Revelation 13. Uh, The beast, as he's called there, but we've concluded there's no doubt in our minds, I hope none in yours, that this is the Antichrist that, that John is seeing here in this moment. And as we move through this, he has given us a number of descriptors that define him. When those descriptors really tell us much about the kinds of things he'll be doing as he establishes his kingdom on this earth. But this morning, we're going to pick up in verse 3, where it says, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. John now sees the beast who's established his kingdom, right? That's what verse 2 is all about, Antichrist's kingdom that he'll establish in this world one day when he comes. But now John says that after that's taken place, he sees him sustaining some sort of a wound to his head. Here again, we see how Satan, you know, this, this satanic mimic will in many ways be a parallel to Jesus in, in many ways. You know, just as Jesus, we're told in the scriptures, was what? And we know he did this. He was wounded for what? Our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Just as he suffered and died on, at, on that cross and then rose again. And now, you know, we marvel at what Jesus did and we follow him. So too, Satan, through Antichrist, will try to imitate what Jesus did in a different way. But he'll be imitating, in a sense, what Jesus did. John tells us here, first of all, that like Jesus, Antichrist will be wounded. He'll be wounded. We don't know how this happens, but based on the language being used here and in this verse, and from a related passage in Zechariah chapter 11 and verse 17, which I'll read to you in just a moment, 
But but there in Zechariah, it tells us, and what he tells us, we can deduce that that it's going to be the result of most likely some kind of an assassination attempt. At least that seems to be the case. It could be something else. But here's why it could very well be. Zechariah tells us that this wound that he'll sustain will, will ultimately result in his right arm and, 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 and becoming paralyzed and his right eye becoming blind. Here's what Zechariah says in Zechariah eleven seventeen: Woe to the worthless shepherd. I like that term for antichrist because he's going to come like a shepherd, right? Just like Jesus did. He's going to come promoting himself to be a, a, a shepherd for the world to follow, right? Some false messianic figure for the world to follow, but he's a worthless shepherd. You know, there's a lot of worthless shepherds in our world today. They just are. They're not antichrist, and yet the spirit of antichrist is pumping in their veins. You know? Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword, a sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither, and his right eye shall be totally blinded. The very fact that Isaiah, or Zechariah here, and, and this is a clear reference here to the antichrist, it's who he's talking about prophetically. But this, this reference that this sword will be against his arm and against his right eye does lead us to believe that he's going to be wounded in some capacity through maybe an assassination attempt. We don't know. But however it is, he's going to lose the capacity to use that right arm and his right eye. Secondly, you know, John tells us that like Jesus, Antichrist wounds will be a mortal wound. There'll be a mortal wound. Some argue that this means here that, that he'll come close to death when it says, you know, that this happens to him, that, that he's going to come close to death and he might look like he's dead, but he's really not. That could possibly be the case, but the language used seems to imply that he'll actually die from his wounds, that he'll physically die from his wounds. I personally believe that this is what's going to happen because Satan wants to mimic Jesus. Contrary to what skeptics and some liberal scholars might suggest, we know that Jesus physically died, right? They have a theory out there called the swoon theory. The swoon theory is that Jesus really wasn't dead. And he would just kind of swooned and then just, you know, looked like he gave the appearance of death, but he really wasn't dead. And then when the time was right, he just kind of woke up. Nonsense. If you understand the entire crucifixion process, you know that there's no way. I mean, the reason they stuck that spear into his side was to make sure that he was finished off, right? You know, there's no way. Jesus physically died. We know that. He physically died, and then he was physically resurrected from the dead. And, and Satan will want to do what Jesus did. Satan will want to do what Jesus did. And I believe that this passage is telling us that he will do just that with Antichrist. Antichrist will be killed. He will die a physical, physical death, but then he'll seemingly be resurrected to life. Now, that's where I add the word seemingly to Antichrist. Seemingly resurrected to life. As John goes on to reveal to us, Antichrist deadly wounds are going to seemingly be healed and, and he's going to appear to rise from the dead just like Jesus did. And he tells us that when he does this, the world is going to marvel and they're going to follow after him because of this, just as many in the world marveled and followed after Jesus when he was resurrected. But, and here's an important caveat, nowhere do we find anywhere in Scripture any hint that Satan has the ability to create life or to restore life. This is a divine prerogative alone. This is something which only God can do. Only God can create and only God can restore life. What Satan does have the ability to do, though, is to take control 
of the body of a human individual by possession or potentially by reanimating the body, giving the appearance of life. And I believe that's exactly what's going to happen with Antichrist. He's going to really die as a result of this, whatever this wounding attack is. And, and then Satan himself is going to take control of his dead body and seemingly raise him back to life. But it'll no longer be Antichrist, the man who will be alive. But it'll only be Satan living through Antichrist's body when this happens. But no matter what you believe about this, this, this will in some way be worked out to give the appearance of a remarkable miracle. And it will seal the deal for Antichrist in his power bid for the hearts of men and women in this world. By the way, if you find this hard to believe, then let me ask you this question. Then why do you believe Jesus was resurrected from the dead? Right? Why would you believe that too? Clearly, you know, we know that Jesus was. And so most certainly, you know, we can believe as we read these scriptures that Satan somehow will perform this appearance of a, of a resurrection with this guy. No reason for us to doubt that. One more tidbit of interest to note about all this. When it happens, this is going to be part of a physical working out, I believe, of a greater spiritual truth prophetically given to us in Genesis 3.15. Because in Genesis 3.15, some people call it theologically the evangelical. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, but, but you know this verse. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Who's it talking about in that statement? You remember this is kind of the curse that goes along with, with, with Adam and Eve's fall in the garden. But when he says this, when God says this, Who's he talking about? Who's going to bruise whose head? He's talking about Satan bruising Jesus' head, right? Jesus' head was bruised. Not in the sense that um, his head was injured, but the idea here is that he's going to sustain that injury. He's going to be attacked by Satan. But then he says, you shall bruise his heel. I'm sorry, vice versa. He, being Jesus, would bruise Satan's head, but Satan would bruise Jesus' heel. Here we see Satan's head being bruised, right? I think it's actually a prophetic fulfillment of this in a lot of ways, in a practical sense, not in the spiritual sense. In the spiritual sense, that occurred already through Jesus' resurrection. He bruised, you know, uh, Satan's head through the resurrection and broke the bondage that he had over all of us. But in a physical working out, which we often see in the scriptures, a physical working out in this world of a truth that's spiritually given to us. And so I think it's there. But look on at verse 4. He says, so they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So John tells us that with this event, the world is going to, they're going to fall in behind this satanically resurrected antichrist like never before. And from this point on, he will seemingly be unstoppable in the world. And in this moment, he's going to rise to the pinnacle of power and dominance in the world. And no other human being will be like him. No other human being will be like him or able to stand up to him as his political might will only be rivaled by his military power. Who is like the beast, he says. So he sees people saying, who's like the beast? Who's able to make war with him? You know, this is going to be a terrifying moment for those who, who have come to faith in Christ in that day. Remember, there will be people, large numbers, who will be coming to faith during the tribulation. It's not, when we see references to believers in the tribulation, it's not us. We're not going to be there for it. But there will be people who will come to saving faith during that. And this is going to be a terrible moment for them because they've already been subject to the influence and the wrath against them by the man Antichrist. But now, when this incredibly 
evil event takes place, his power to destroy them will seem to be immutable. That he'll just be able to do anything he wants to them. I cannot stress enough that you do not want to be on this earth when this is taking place. I'm looking to the faces of most of you, and I know your profession of faith, but I don't know who's watching us on live stream this morning. Because the truth is, and the scriptures teach us, that if you're not in Christ and this day were to come, you're going to be subjected to this. You're going to be living in a world that's dominated by this satanically resurrected body of a man, you know, who's going to be in complete control. You do not want to be here. And I know people joke all the time about, well, you know what, I I believe the message of the gospel, but I'll just wait until the tribulation comes. And, you know, when that comes, then I'll accept him. You know what, this is what you're going to be facing if that's what you're waiting for. That's what a person's waiting for if that's that's what we're going to do. I'm telling you, this stuff makes the most terrifying sci-fi movies pale in comparison when you think about it. Well, look on, he says in verse 5, And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Interesting. Here again, we see the same attributes that Daniel described to him when he referred to him as the different horn or the little horn, which we looked at last week. But you might recall in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 8, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 8, I was considering the horns and there was another horn, a little one coming up among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. The exact same thing that we're now seeing here in Revelation, that, that yak, yak, yak of this guy right? The the bold arrogance by which he'll be speaking. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 11, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 20, and the ten horns that were on its head and and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words whose appearance was greater than his fellows. There again, those pompous words. Daniel 7, 25, Daniel 7.25, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High. Daniel 11, verse 36, then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. There we see it again, blasphemies just being spoken out of this guy's mouth, you see? And using some different words, Paul basically ascribes the same things to Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And so here again, we see the same idea of this, this blasphemous man, the kinds of things he'll be speaking, the kinds of things he'll be doing. And one of the most important attributes that we see here, attributes, there we go, attributes that we see of this guy as he's, as he's walking this earth is going to be, he's just going to be a trash talker. He's going to be a trash talker. He's going to be talking trash about God's people. He's going to be talking trash about God's temple. He's going to be talking trash about God himself. 
In fact, John says that for 42 months, 1,260 days, a time and times and a half time. How long is that? Three and a half years. So what part of the tribulation are we talking about? The last part, right? For that three and a half last years of that tribulation, this guy's going to have all kinds of blasphemous stuff to say. And God's going to give him his First Amendment rights to do it. He's going to let him have his First Amendment rights to, to run his mouth with freedom for a while. For a while. But eventually God says, enough will be enough. And he'll send Jesus personally to shut his mouth. Boy, I'll tell you what. We won't be here to hear this guy's trash talk, you know. But I'm just telling you, the angels are going to be rejoicing when this moment comes. You know, that Jesus is just going to say, that's enough. Close your mouth. That's enough. You know, always remember, there is coming a day when not just Antichrist's mouth, but all men's blasphemous ramblings, they're, they're going to be silenced. They're going to be silenced. And only the words that will come from their mouth will be a testimony of Jesus. We're told that, right? Paul says it in Philippians 2, verse 9 through 11. Philippians 2, verse 9, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's every blasphemous speaking person in this world today. I don't know about you, but I'm overwhelmed by the stuff I'm saying. Just overwhelmed, you know? I was reading in the news today. I, I guess the big thing now is the, the coming out kind of stuff going on in, in libraries where they're teaching kids, you know? They're bringing in drag queens for kids. And I just read that there was a pastor in Washington that's now going to trial because he showed up to hear what was happening there, didn't say anything, didn't come in to protest it, just wanted to go into the library to see what this was going on for himself. And the police, they said, literally were standing outside the doors and separating the people as they gauged them to whether or not they thought they were friendly to what was going to be said or not. And he challenged that with the police. They just simply said to him, this is a public library. I want to come in and hear this. I want to hear from my, what do you do? I'm a pastor. I, you need to go to the other side of the street. And when he, he kept insisting until they finally arrested him. And now they said a judge is going to take him to court. Well, we all suspect he's going to win his case against that. But this is the kind of environment we live in today. And it's, it's like the blasphemy of God is okay, but if you want to stand for the Lord, it's not okay. And that's frustrating, isn't it? I mean, it is for me. I get just plain, you know, upset. And upset is an understatement, you know. I plain get and pull my shoes off and throw them against the wall in the TV set, kind of angry over this kind of stuff. But you know what? There's a day coming when the Lord's going to shut every mouth on this stuff. And those very people, all those people who've mocked God, who've mocked you because of your stand for God, he's going to not just close their mouth, he's going to allow them only to say one thing, and that is to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Does that mean they're going to be saved? Absolutely not. It just means they're going to be under compulsion to say that. They'll have no other choice. It's going to be true, and they're going to know it's going to be true. The question is, will a man or woman confess him by the choice made of their own free will through a surrendered life to him, or will it be a forced confession? Which choice will it be for you? I, again, I'm looking into your faces this morning. And I know you're already confessing him. Most of you, if not all of you, are confessing him as your Lord and Savior, which is just awesome. You're not going to be forced to do it. You're going to do it freely in that day. 
but there's a world around us that's going to find that their knee is going to be forced to bend and their tongue is going to be forced to confess this. You think the world doesn't like it now? Can you imagine in that moment? But all of eternity, all of heaven is going to rejoice in that moment. Well, look on. It goes on in verse 7. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And so here again, John tells us that this will be a terrible time of persecution for both the believing Jews and Gentiles who've come to faith in Jesus during this horrendous period of history. And Antichrist will be given temporary authority to wage utter war against them. And at this point, he'll be doing it with a supernatural empowerment like never before, as Satan will quite literally be living through him. Look on. The latter part, it says in verse 7, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. John now tells us that for a season, Antichrist will be given authority over this entire planet, over Every tribe, over every tongue, over every nation in the world is going to respond to his authority. They're they're not going to follow him because he forces them to follow him. There will be those that will be under compulsion, but, but the vast majority of the world's inhabitants in that day will be following him because they simply want to follow him. And it won't just be because of the signs and wonders and supernatural events that he'll be engaging in and that'll be associated with him. But I suggest it'll ultimately be because he aligns with their sinful lusts and desires. He'll be aligning himself with the very lusts and desires that they have in their own hearts. He'll be establishing a world system that'll be catering to the evil intentions of, of man's heart in that day. And only those who've given themselves over to Jesus, those whose names will have been written in the Lamb's book of life, will refuse to follow him. Why? Because Antichrist has nothing to offer them anymore. He's got nothing to offer them anymore. Those who've given their hearts to to Jesus, as as 2 Corinthians 5.17 declares, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You see, when you become a Christian, when you became a Christian, your old life, your old desires, the, the way you once were, the things you once desired, they began to fade, didn't they? They began to fade. And you became something completely new, something completely different. And, and more and more, as time goes by, you're going to, more and more, you're going to long for the things that only God can give you. This world, it has nothing for us anymore. And because of that change that's taken place within it. So just as Satan and the spirit of Antichrist that is already at work in our world today has nothing to offer us anymore, so too Satan working through the person of Antichrist in that day will have nothing to offer to believers that they will want anymore. Their desire for God will be so strong that it will cause them to refuse to bow down to and to refuse to follow the satanic leader that the rest of the world will be so willing to follow, even though they know It's going to cost them their life. But they won't care. Because to them, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. As it should be for us today. And I'm suspecting if I were to stop and we were to discuss this morning, I'll bet you most of you, if not all of you, would say to me, you know what? If I had to face death for Jesus, that would be a very scary thing. But I would do it. I would do it. 
because there's nothing that anybody could offer to me that, that would match what I have in him. I wouldn't trade what I have with Jesus for the world. Now, maybe you're a new Christian. Maybe you're young in the Lord. And, and that, that, that firmness about that hasn't taken root in your heart to this point yet in your life, but I can promise you this if you are faced with it, Christ alive in you, I'm just telling you, you're gonna know what to choose. You'd know what to choose. And that's how it's gonna be for the believers in that day. It just won't matter. What he can do to them physically, it's not gonna matter because of what they know they have in Jesus. Do they want to be martyrs? No. No, Christianity is not a, a religion as some that, that you know what, there's, there's glory and martyrdom, so we should go make ourselves martyrs. No, but yet Christianity absolutely offers to us glory when we honor the Lord by being willing to die, not by willing to take life from others, but we're willing to say, I will not bow a knee to this. I will take my stand upon Jesus and him alone, you see. Hmm. Go on, look at verse 9. Verse 9, it says, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So John now goes on to close this section with a word of encouragement to the saints who will be facing this difficult time. He's essentially saying this. Listen up. Not you. He's saying that to all of us. Listen up. Some of you will be taken captive and thrown into prison, and some of you will be killed by the sword. But be patient and don't lose heart. Stand fast despite these terrible things, because God's day of reckoning for this evil beast who is doing this to you will come. Be patient. This is your hope of justice that you can count on. Wow. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.